The second reading is taken from Galatians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent with his Son, born of women, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. Um, on behalf of the Hope Church family, I'd like to say a very big, very big thank you for welcoming us to be among you for the next three weeks. Um, we're homeless in terms of not having a building to meet with, meet in over the holidays, but we're not homeless in terms of fellowship with Christian brothers and sisters. So thank you for having us. Uh, we were thrilled to pray for you all at our recent prayer meeting in uh, the first part of December. Um, Tim Goodchip came and visited us uh, via Zoom and shared updates from you. It's great to hear what the Lord is doing among you um, and of the amazing opportunities you have here to reach out with the good news to the community. And let me also add a personal thank you to Ken Matthews, um, who's over there, for his informal mentoring of me over the last 18 months at St. Oswald's and Hope Church. Um, Ken loves you dearly and works very hard on your behalf, so I'm very grateful for his advice and refreshment and encouragement on the side of everything else he does, which has really encouraged me uh, in leading Hope Church over in the East End. So thank you, Ken. Well, Ken invited me this morning to preach on Galatians 4, verses 4 to 5, God's timing. So let me pray, and then we'll look at that this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to address you in prayer as your children we pray that you would open our eyes, that we might see wonderful things in your word this morning, and so delight ourselves more fully in you and your exciting plans for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I've got three simple points to guide us through those two verses. Um, first one, the point is so obvious, it's almost embarrassing to state it, but here it is. At Christmas, there's a birth to celebrate. There we go. It's out there. Uh, verse 4. There's a birth to celebrate. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. When did Jesus become a human person like each of us? Well, as we remember when we say the Apostles' Creed, Jesus became a human being like one of us at the point of conception. We say in the Apostles' Creed, we believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and later, in brackets, born of the Virgin Mary. But here, Paul draws our attention to the birth of Jesus. As it were, when Jesus moves from being backstage in human history where no one can see him, he's there but he's backstage, and he comes onto the big stage of human history as a newborn baby. And this verse has four weighty theological phrases um, to look at. So we're going to kind of just run through them one at a time. The first one is a little bit mysterious. When the fullness of time had come. It's not the kind of phrase you would use in daily conversation, is it? Imagine you're doing, having a catch-up with an old friend over the Christmas New Year time. And, and it's a great time. You kind of catch up over lunch, you go for a nice walk, and it's brilliant. It's just like the old times. And you say to that friend, you say, I, I really enjoyed catching up with, with you. We should do this again. When, when should we do it again? And then that friend says to you, in the fullness of time. 
oh, that's a bit of a put down, isn't it? That's a sort of British way of saying, uh, no, let's not meet up. <laughs> isn't it? So if not in a kind of normal conversation, when would you hear in the, when the fullness of time had come? Well, it belongs to the realm of a kind of epic story or an epic film or an epic poem where great promises are made, where people live longing for those promises to come true, but they don't see them and they're waiting and waiting and waiting until the time when the fullness of time comes and then those promises are fulfilled. And it's in that sense that that phrase is used here in Galatians 4. Now, Galatians, there's a lot to dig out of Galatians, and I'm not going to try and give you a summary of it. But in Galatians 3 and 4, Paul has been leading um, up to this point. There's, there's this dramatic tension in chapters 3 and 4 between God's gospel, the good news given to Abraham, and God's law given to Moses. So on the one hand, God has promised to bless those who simply trust in him. That's God's gospel. It's an unconditional promise based on faith, just simply trusting God's promises. On the other hand, God has promised to bless those who obey his law fully and curse those who don't obey his law fully. That's God's law. It's conditional based on obedience. Now, here's the thing. God's gospel, God's law, both are from God. Don't say the law's bad, it's not, both from God. Both are good, but both are saying different truths. And one of the big unresolved tensions in the Old Testament is the question of how what God said to Abraham squares with what God said to Moses 430 years later. How does the Abrahamic covenant fit with the Mosaic covenant? How do the gospel and the law fit together in terms of our salvation, in terms of how we are put right with God? How are these two seemingly irreconcilable promises going to be brought together? Well, it's going to be through one person. God's promised Messiah. And it's finally time. It was finally time, Paul's saying here, for that person to enter human history to resolve that dramatic tension. Right at the beginning of his public ministry, Jesus declared in Mark 1, verse 15, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And that's why we have these momentous words there in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, the dam has finally burst. The traffic lights are green. The starting gun has fired. The fullness of time has come. The Messiah has come. What happens? God sent forth his son next. He sent his son to us. And in case we're in any doubt that God's son is indeed the Lord Jesus Christ, we can read the narrative of his baptism contained in Mark's gospel. In Mark 1, verses 9 to 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan and when he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. God the Father sent his beloved son, Jesus, to us. 
Now, if you're speaking with Muslim people about Jesus as God's son, then you might well experience some hostility. So it's worth asking permission to clarify what you mean when you, you are speaking of Jesus as God's son. It's important to be clear that when Christians are speaking of Jesus as God's son, we are not saying, we are not saying that Jesus was born as a result of sexual relations between God and Mary. Jesus was indeed born of Mary, but he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit with no intervention from his human father, Joseph. No, when Christians speak of Jesus as God's son, we're speaking of him as one who, along with the Holy Spirit, is equal with the Father as God. We're speaking of Jesus as the one who has enjoyed perfect relationship with the Father forever, but the one whom the Father sent to earth to come and save us. That's who we're talking about. That's what it means Jesus is God's son. And you might well still face objections at that point, perhaps even stronger objections, but at least you will have communicated the gospel message. But how did the Father send Jesus to earth? Was it on the back of a meteorite in a kind of dramatic style or divine prime delivery? No, no, it wasn't anything particularly glamorous. It was very normal. Jesus, the son of God, was born of woman, says verse 4, just like each of us. Do you think that staggering humility, Jesus with the Father in heaven enjoying everything, to willingly leave his heavenly home and come to earth as one of us? Joan Osborne sang, didn't she? What if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us? Not very flattering. What if God was one of us? But from Galatians 4 verse 4, we can say, well, God the Son was one of us, had a mum just like us. Jesus, the Son of God, born of a woman. Next, Jesus was born under the law. He was raised in a Jewish home and raised to obey all of God's law. The lawmaker deliberately came under the law. Why? Well, it leads on to my second point. So firstly, Christmas, there's a birth to celebrate, Secondly, at Christmas, there's a death to anticipate. There's a death to anticipate. There was a time for Jesus to be born, so also there was a time for Jesus to die. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. What does the word redeem mean? Well, it just means to buy someone out of slavery for a price. A couple of months ago, I watched uh, the Simon, Simon Reeve. I don't know if anyone watches Simon Reeve as he goes traveling around the world. Um, I watched his Travels in the Indian Ocean series, and that particular um, set of episodes took him through the Horn of Africa, where you get pirates operating. And these pirates carefully select boats to target. They board them. They hold the boat and the sailors to ransom. And if those hostages are to be released, a ransom price must be paid usually apparently well in in excess of $5 million. What's that price? It's the price of redemption. That's the price that needs to be paid for the hostages to be freed. Or to use a more mundane example, which you probably won't thank me for, 
If you've moved house recently and you're still paying your mortgage, um, at some point in the process, you will have asked your mortgage company for a redemption figure. And that's the amount which still needs to be paid to free you from your mortgage. To put it negatively, that's the amount that you need to pay to free yourself from slavery to your bank. <laughs> that's a nice thought, isn't it? Well, that's the price of redemption. There's a price that needs to be paid. You're in slavery. A price needs to be paid. And that's the price of redemption. What's the price of our spiritual redemption? Each one of us needs spiritual redemption. By nature, we are under the law in the sense that we have disobeyed God's law. And we all of us, by nature, are heading towards that day when we're going to bear the full penalty of God's law forever. And the price to be paid for our spiritual redemption is not us turning over a new leaf and trying harder to impress God. That's never going to happen. It's impossible. It's like if you've ever got your car stuck in a muddy, maybe you slid off the road in this icy patch and you're stuck in the mud and and you you put your foot on the accelerator to try and get out and you just go and you end up getting deeper and deeper. Well, that's what it's like if you're trying to dig yourself out of redemption. You can't do it. The price of redemption cannot come from us. A rich relative can't bail you out. It's fully paid by God himself for anyone who will accept it. The price, extremely high. It was God's son himself. Earlier, Paul wrote in Galatians 3, verses 13 to 14. And here's how the Abrahamic and the Mosaic covenants come together. Christ redeemed us. That's the kind of redemption word group. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That's a quote from Deuteronomy 21 verse 23 and describes what happened spiritually when Jesus died on the cross. So that, verse 14, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, there's quite a lot packed in there, so let me, I'll break that down to four steps. Step one, Jesus lives a perfect life in obedience to the Mosaic law. He alone deserves God's blessing and not God's curse. Step two, we disobey God. We deserve God's curse and not God's blessing. Step three, Jesus comes to die in our place on the cross. He's our substitute. He takes the full force of God's curse in our place and in exchange offers the full riches of God's blessing to us, which he has achieved by his obedience. And step four, if we trust in Jesus, we're united with him. We don't need to fear God's curse. We can enjoy the spiritual blessings of knowing God, And that includes the gift of the Holy Spirit who helps us to speak to God as our Father. That is the wonder of redemption. It's what we're going to remember when we share in the Lord's Supper together later this morning. Jesus paid it all. Redemption. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. At Christmas, there's a birth to celebrate, there's a death to anticipate. You can't understand Christmas, really, without also understanding Easter. But here's the thing, because Easter isn't the end of the story either. Redemption is not God's end goal for his people. Thirdly, at Christmas, there's a relationship to appreciate. 
verse 5b, a relationship to appreciate. Now, if you spend any time with young children, you'll know that they can really wind you up. I mean, that's true generally, but particularly when they interrupt you with yes, but why questions. Have you been there? So they might go something like this. um, We need to go to town. Yes, but why do we need to go to town? um, But why do we need to go to town today? Because we need to get some shoes and you're going back to school tomorrow. Yes, but why do we need to go into town to buy um, shoes for school today? Why why haven't you done that last week? Ah. The the risk of irritating some of you, I'm going to apply that kind of irritating logic to verses 4 to 5. So here we go. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of the woman, born under the law. Yes, but why did he do that? To redeem those who are under the law. Yes, but why did he do that? So that we might receive adoption as sons. Literally, the Greek is so that we might receive the sonship. So that we might join God's family and inherit everything that belongs to God. Do you see that flow of Paul's argument in these verses 4 and 5? It's all leading up to the high point of this privilege of adoption, of being God's family. A time for Jesus to be born, a time for Jesus to die, a time for us to join God's family. Incarnation, redemption, adoption, a birth to celebrate, a death to anticipate, a relationship to appreciate. There's no greater privilege on offer to us as human beings. Just as Jesus called God Father, so now we can through faith in him. And that's an astonishing thing. The God who made us, the God who will judge us, we can call him Father and pray to him with confidence that he loves us and he hears us. And that's something with no other religion in the world even claims to offer. For example, there are many words which Muslim people used to describe Allah, but not one of them is father. A while back, I read the biography of a lady from a Muslim background who came to faith in Jesus. What was the title of the book? I dared to call him father. I dared to call him father. Birth to celebrate, a death to anticipate, a relationship to appreciate. Now, how does this passage connect where you're at this morning? Perhaps this morning you're not a Christian. Or perhaps you're not quite sure where you stand with the Christian message. Well, I hope you've seen this morning that the Christian faith is not based on myths. It's based on real events about a real person, Jesus Christ, in real human history. His birth at Bethlehem, his death on a cross in Jerusalem, and I could have gone on, his resurrection from the dead on the third day, his ascension into heaven, his future return to judge the world. It's real. It's not fantasy. And I hope you've also seen this morning that the Christian faith is not about rules. It's not about being good. It's about relationship with God. Many people assume Christianity is all about us working really hard to try and impress God. But that's not possible. Christianity is about us trusting in Jesus through his death on the cross to welcome us into God's family. If that's you and you've got questions, talk to a Christian friend or talk to one of the, Ben or one of the staff here. Or if it's time, you think, this morning for you to join God's family, why wait? Jesus hasn't come back, the door is open. Why not this morning? 
start that great journey that will go on for eternity of relating to God as your Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps some others of you are trusting in Jesus. You you do know him as your Lord and Saviour, but your relationship with Jesus of late has become a bit stale. Maybe theologically you're believing the right things, but something is lacking life and energy in the way you relate to him. I don't know, but could it be that you have slipped from relating to God as your father who loves you to relating to God as a boss who you're trying to impress? That's the trap the Galatian Christians fell into if you read through the letter. Rather than enjoying the exhilarating relationship with God the Father that they'd known at first, they were sliding backwards into spiritual slavery. If that's you, just remind yourself that God is your Father and you're one of his children, and that is the greatest privilege in the world. And finally, some of you here, I'm sure, are longing to know God better. Can I encourage you to grow in prayerful dependence on your Father? 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17 Uh, Paul commands the Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. Now, that's obviously not literal, because otherwise you wouldn't be listening to me because you'd be praying. But using every opportunity, all the spare time, pray to God. It's such a privilege. Pray to your Father any time. So talk to him all the time. He doesn't put a do not disturb sign on the door. He doesn't only do office hours. So make use of the privilege to talk to God as your father. Talk to him while you're walking to the shops, while you're waiting in the car to pick up the kids. Talk to him while you're washing the dishes. Talk to him on the bus, as well as any regular time of prayer you have. He's your father. You're his adopted child. Enjoy pouring your heart out to him. Let's do that now, and then we'll have a further time of prayer. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are always more ready to hear than we are to pray and give us more than either we desire or deserve. Please help us to understand more deeply what Jesus has done for us and help us all to grow in prayerful dependence and adoration of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.